So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base, how do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number 20. Hello, everybody. Ed Matthews here from Real Estate Underground. I am joined by one of the greats in this industry, somebody that I have been following and reading for longer than either of us are willing to admit, and Mr. Alan Calgill. Alan, welcome, and it's uh, nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Well, it's tickled, and I'm glad to do this. And, and uh, there's a special thing is that your name's Ed, and my first name is Ed, even though I go by go. Alan. So, yeah. Already a kindred spirits, right? That's it. That's yeah, it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Super. I would be very surprised if a lot of the folks in our audience don't know who you are, but just in case there's that one guy out there who has no clue who Alan Cowgill is, why don't you tell us about your background and your focus and what you do for a living? Yeah, that's great. When I was in the corporate world, I got a quarter century in corporate America. For the last 17 and a half years, I was in aerospace. I also early on was a manager in a farm equipment company, and I was actually down in Savannah, Georgia. They made slicers down there for Hobart Corporation. I was down there for a year. And so I've had a lot of different businesses over the years. The last one in aerospace, I had about 60 folks working for me. And they made those flashing lights that you see on the airplane. That was my department and the cockpit lights. That's what I was over. I prefer the green ones to the red ones. But yes, me too. Yes. And so I did that. And then over time, I did acquisitions in Europe and I did plant movements. And then also I was put in charge of programs, five different programs in multi-companies, multi-states, multi-million dollars. And coming out of one of those on a program that I recommended, it doubled the pre-tax earnings and tripled the cash flow for that company. And oddly enough, one of those plants that I was at was in Bristol, Connecticut, prior to me being in this business. And what happened was in, in 1995, I got my first house. And it took off from there. And in 2001, I was able to quit the company and become a full-time real estate investor. So that's kind of the foundation of where I started out. So you and I have similar backgrounds in that I spent my first 25 years or so in technology and working for little to medium-sized software firms based uh-huh. on the West Coast. And, and I left the, the rat race just as I was heading into my next quarter century of working for the man. So I'm curious, you know, what drew you to real estate? Well, just living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I was climbing the corporate ladder and that was my passion. And after a while, I had a couple of things happen. One is I saw my aunt and uncle retire after working at JLB all their life, like you and I are talking about. And I noticed that they retired at poverty level. Yeah. And I thought, my goodness, is that going to happen to me here? They spend all that time and effort in their life and then they're struggling. Right. And so that really opened up my eyes. The other thing that happened was even though I was successful in corporate America, I was living in a little dinky two bedroom apartment. And like I said, paycheck to paycheck. And I had this old beat up car that I needed to put some maintenance work into, but I was too busy paying my other bills. And I put that on the back burner, like we, a lot of us would do. And one night on a first date, I had a problem. I pulled up in front of apartment complex to walk this lady up to her door and I hopped out and halfway up to the door, I heard something. I turned around and looked and my car had burst into flames. Oh, jeez! 
first and last date, somebody will yell out in the back of the room when I would be speaking for a group like yours is, you know, hot date, you know? Right. So embarrassing. I mean, every morning when she woke up, the remembrance that date was a burnt chard mark in the parking lot. It was her first week in that apartment. And so oh, she no. was really well known, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. after I left away. And so I looked into franchises, but I didn't have the money to get a franchise. Couldn't do that. I Silly, I went in and I took my whole federal tax return one year and plunked it down on lottery tickets. That didn't work. Same year, right after I was with her. You know, one thing right after another kind of catapulted. I thought, how do I get to where I can make some good money and not be tied down on corporate America? Right. And one night at two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep. Got up and started to channel surf, hit one of these real estate infomercials. And I thought, maybe I can do that. And I picked up the phone and I ordered that home study system and I became enthralled with real estate. And that year I was able to buy my first two properties. The next year I bought five and then 18. And since that point in time, I've done hundreds of real estate deals. So that's what launched me into this business. It was pain. It was financial pain. Yeah. And um, even though I had, I had honed my skills in corporate America, I stepped out and became a full-time real estate investor. And it was one of the best days of my life. So that's what happened. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. I'm, you're certainly way far ahead of where you would have been had you stuck with the uh, corporate, oh, right? Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. It's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine not that long ago who was thinking about taking the plunge into their own business, not real estate, something else. And I said, I don't know a way to build wealth, never mind generational wealth, just wealth so that you can support yourself with the same income stream in retirement that you have in your job. I don't know how to do it without a business. Right. Corporate America isn't going to pay for that. Right. And it's not yep. in their best interest. Right. So yep. the only way to do it is to take control of your life. You live in a particular niche and one that I'm particularly passionate about in terms of, you know, private lending and raising capital. And yeah. it's one of the key things that a lot of folks that listen to this podcast and are members of our CTRIA and just folks that I meet in my travels, I'll talk about kind of three basic things of what's keeping them from doing this, right? Man, I don't have the time. I'm working 80 hours a week. I've got a wife. I've got a husband. I've got kids. I've got this. I've got that responsibility. Second thing is, I don't know where to get the deals, right? There's you know not a lot of deal flow because there's not a lot of inventory. And the third one, which is what we're going to talk about today is, and when I find the deal, I don't know how to pay for it. I don't have $100,000. And so one of the things that I tend to pound my fist on the, on the proverbial desk about is you don't need your own money to invest in real estate. Right. So right. let's talk about private lending. Well, when I go speak all over the nation, I talk to people about banks and hard money lenders and things like that, because they get to set the rules. But what you just brought up and what I teach is private money and we get to set the rules. There. And that's the first thing is most people don't recognize that. In fact, what's happening in our industry, I know over the last four years, hard money lenders will many times call themselves private lenders. And that muddies the, the water for me because a hard money lender sets the rules like a bank sets the rules. Right. But with private money, we get to set the rules. And so what happened to me was when I figured that out, I went back and I talked to my mom because she had come into some money when my dad passed away and she took that money and put it on a bank certificate, a CD. And she drove 45 minutes one way to get a few pennies more on a bank CD. And she actually was very proud of herself because she was not taking care of the finances in the house at that point in time. 
And so I went back to mom and I said, look, I said, you're getting this poultry little rate of return on a bank CD. I can pay you three, four, five times what you're getting on that bank CD. I'll give you a mortgage, a promissory note, hazard insurance, lender title insurance. And she jumped for joy and she started loaning me money. And she made multiple times of what she was making on a bank CD. And so I talk about that quite a lot with folks. So what happened uh, also with me was when I got into real estate, I had three lending institutions shut me off, not because of my credit or anything like that. Uh, they had changes in rules. One had regulators come in and stopped all of us within 20, all the creative real estate investors within 24 hours. Yeah. And then when I quit my job, I thought the bank would stay with me. But the day you quit your job is the day they quit you. I found that out and that was very startling for me. So I had two events where I brought together potential people to loan me money, potential private lenders. And in the first group, I had 18 folks and I got up and I told them about my business and my intent, my aspirations. And then I just asked them to loan me money and it worked. And I did it again the next month and I had 12 folks show up and it did it again and it worked again. And a couple of months later, I had a million dollars from that going, going to me to go do deals. And that's what really, really launched me. And so back on this banks setting the rules and hard money lenders setting the rules. When I explain this about my mother, I explain the rules to her. And that's how easy it is to get private lenders many, many times. Okay. And so that was really, really eye-opening out there. You see with businesses, there's three basic steps. The first step is you got to get an education, just like what you and I are doing right now for folks is we're training folks. And so the foundation of real estate is to get an education. That's not number one. And that's what you and I are all about. Yep. That's what you do at CT RIA. And that's what I do with my students. The second thing is let's take a doctor. The second thing a doctor would do would have to line up funding so that they can buy their doctor equipment, their office, their computer, and the third thing is they open up for business once they have those first two things covered. Yes. Yes. But what happens with real estate investors is they get their funding upside down. Here's what real estate investors do. They go out and they get an education. They join up with CT RIA and they get a great education. And then they are told to go out and make offers. Offers is step three. Offers is step three. So they go out and they make offers and then they have to go around to banks or hard money lenders to try to get this thing funded. Yes. Yes. That puts the funding in the third step. This is very important. Real estate investors recognize this because the natural thing is to have the funding in the second step. And the only, only way you can do that is through private money. And so many folks for years or their lifetime, they struggle in real estate because they get those three steps out of order. And it's probably hard for some people to recognize that, but once they get it, it is a huge, huge eye opener. So that is one of the messages for me to everybody is to get a good foundation of training so that you can go out and get private money. Let me tell you what happened to me. I had so much money. I couldn't spend it all. I want, I want everybody that is a nice problem to have. That, yeah. Yeah. It's well, it actually caught me off guard. Imagine getting caught off guard with so much money. You couldn't spend it all. I had to hire a guy. I had so much money. I had to hire a guy to go spend it for me. Now, he'd been in corporate America for a couple of decades and he got laid off and he was looking for something else to do. And he wanted to get into real estate. He'd only bought two properties. One was a side by side double and he lived in half of it. And then in time, he got to, he could save up a, a down payment for his house that he's got now, which is uh, on a hill and it's a ranch home. He wanted to get into real estate. Well, I have systems. One system is how to teach people how to get deals. And the other one is how to get private money. 
well, I already had the private money. We needed deals to spend the money. And so he came on board in mid-September. And from mid-September to Christmas, he bought me 21 properties. Whoa. 21 properties. And then from New Year's to August, he bought another 48. Oh, my goodness. We had to shut it down because I had so much property. And we had to let the rehabbers catch up. Right. And so that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of deals. It is. And it was awesome. He was with me for years. And so, yeah, what I did was I found the floodgates. When I just got started and I started out with my mom and then I had a second lender, I had a trickle of money. And then when I had those two of get togethers, those two events where I explained it in a group, and that was very important because I fed them. And what happens is you talk first and then I send them to a table to eat salad and whatever they had. And what happens at that back table is they want to carry on a conversation. Exactly. Right. You got it. And so what happened is they talk about you and they get peer confirmation that what I just talked about is eye-opening because they're getting a double or nothing on a bank CD. And I come along and I'm offering three, four, five, 8%. And it's just floodgates. And that's what happened. So I had a river of money at that point. But when I got to this last phase, the flood of money, I realized that I, I tapped into people that had 401ks, IRAs and 401ks. And the people with the 401ks, they can't move that money unless they have quit, retired, or gotten laid off. And everybody knows somebody out there, if you just ask around, that somebody that has the quitter retired or gotten laid off from a company and they left their 401k in that company, you can roll that money over into a self-directed IRA and then we can use it on our real estate deals. That's when the floodgates opened for me. It was huge. It was huge. It was great. Phenomenal. Yeah. So you've done hundreds of deals, right? Yes. Yep. And, you know, one of the things that we are always talking with, like with our own coaching students, right, is there is the group that dives in head first and off they go and they buy their first property and then they're, they, you blink and they've already bought 20, right? And, right. But then there are the ones that kind of hold off and it, whether it's analysis paralysis or something stops them from actually pulling the trigger. Fear. It's fair. Uh, it is. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And so yeah. when you're counseling your students or you're mentoring somebody and they're stuck, what do you tell them? How do you get them to act? How do you get them to realize they actually deserve to be successful? Let me give you a downside of, of one of the folks I worked with, and then we'll talk about the upside. Okay. My brother was a doctor and he had a patient. My brother talked about me and the patient wanted to meet me. I'm in another city. Well, I love my brother. And I said, yeah, I'll let him come on over and I'll show him what I'm doing. So I spent a day with him, took him through my rehabs, explaining how to handle things and stuff like that. Cause he wanted to be a real estate investor. And if he wanted to get into this and do the rehabbing, he needed to know that I paid for his lunch and he went away and did nothing. He yeah. wanted to come back, came back. I spent another day with him. I bought his lunch again. And to this moment, and this was years ago, he has not done a thing. He has not, every now and then I talked to my brother about him. He has not done a single thing. And so the foundation of this business is education for the people out there that are fearful like this. What he should have done is joined a group like you've got CT Rhea. He should have got stuff over the internet to learn. And he, ought to, he should have got a home study system and figured out how to run the business because that's the foundation of this. So the second part of this is the fear. People need to pull the trigger at some point. And they're so fearful on that first deal, they get stuck sometimes. And it's good to have a mentor 
to get you over the top on that first deal. Cause once you get over the top on that first deal, it gets easier and easier. And after a while, just like all those properties I bought at that, at one point in time, you can have a floodgate. You can get more than what you can handle. So I guess the message here on uh, to answer your question is I focus on the techniques. I focus on the education and the foundation of this business of getting a solid education before you pull a trigger. You know, people get my home study system. What I do is I want them to go through the whole thing. I see so many of them get in and they want to jump ahead and go make offers before they even go through the home study system. I have created 77. You know, you don't know this yet. I created 77 products for real estate investors. Did you really? Wow, I had no idea it was that many. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't either until I added them up. But (laughs) what I do is I find a weakness, a hole, a soft spot or a vacuum in our industry and I fill it. And so I went through and I created a bunch of eBooks and I I created home study systems and things like that. I've got a live event, been to your place and spoke a number of times. Yeah. And so looking forward to having uh, you back. Yeah. I fill that gap in the industry and having 77 products is, is monumental. And it helps folks. I mean, that's what it's all about. And that's how passionate I am about education. And Because with me, I didn't know what to do when I came out of corporate America and I quit my job. I didn't know the different parts of it. And I took a lot of expensive events from other folks. In fact, you, t- you and I talked about one at one time yep. Yep. to where I got the solid foundation and, and I launched. You got to pull that trigger at some point in time. And I agree with you. There's, there's a number of people out there. You see them two, three years later and they haven't got their first deal. And they're right. going to these meetings and stuff, but yeah, but they just need to get the foundation, you know, and maybe have somebody help them and pull the trigger. Yeah. I was that person. I mean, I, I read yeah. uh, rich dad, poor dad in, in 2008 yep. and it changed my life three years later. Right. Yeah. Three right. years to get my hand to stop shaking and sign that contract. And yeah. I tell people to this day, you know, I've done a couple hundred real estate deals at this point. And my hand shakes on every contract I sign. Of course it does, right? It's supposed to. It's a lot of responsibility. And yeah. if it doesn't freak you out a little bit, then you don't understand the magnitude of the responsibility you're undertaking. Right. right? It's to commitment. Your vendors, to your partners, to the people that are going to live in your buildings, all of that. Right. So I'm right there with it. Yep. I know you are a mentor to many, many, many thousands of people at this point, probably more than that. But I'm curious about your mentors. Who are the people you know, besides the authors and the home study courses that you've taken, who are the people that have given you advice over the years? And I'm further curious, what was the best advice you ever got? Okay. I want to talk about my dad. My brother was a, is a doctor and my dad was a doctor. And one day I walked out on the, on the, I was about nine, 10 years old, whatever it was, walked out on the front steps. Mom was sitting out there and she was crying. I'd never seen her cry before. She was crying and she was crying because we were going broke. Yeah. You wouldn't think a doctor would be going broke, but he was. And fortunately, he had a doctor friend in another town. And that doctor friend knew about a doctor boot camp. Doctors have boot camps like we have boot camps. Okay. My dad couldn't afford to go. So the other doctor paid for his train to go to Texas. We're in Ohio. Go to Texas. And when he came home, his whole attitude and life had changed at that point. He learned that what will change your life is who you meet and what you read. And I've lived by that since that point in time. He came back and uh, became the mayor of the town. He had a huge, huge doctor business. We had Amish many, many miles away, and they would come in their buggies just to see my dad. And so his life and our life 
changed because of that, because he became very prosperous because he was successful in the business and he helped a lot of people. He cured a lot of people. And so it was all because of that foundation of the education and going to a live event, going to a boot camp and getting the training and coming back and implementing the training. And it worked. There's two key things you said there, right? That really stuck with me. One was that he got educated, right? He made the effort yep. and he went to the course and he learned it as if he was going to have to teach it himself, right? Yes. Uh, but the other piece of it that you just said is, is equally important, right? And that is he came home and he implemented it. Yep. He sure did. Yeah. He embraced it. Right. And everything turned around. I mean, everything. It was amazing to see my dad do that. And then I embraced that. Years later, sitting in my apartment and I got a home study system from when I made that call. And in the last chapter, it talked about goal setting. Yep. And so what I did was, since I was living in a rental, is I got a cork board and I nailed it to the wall <laughs> and I put my goals on that cork board. And every time my feet hit the ground coming out of bed in the morning, I read my goals. Right. And over time, I was able to put a hash mark on the goal. And one of them was to own a Cadillac, got a hash mark, got a couple of them and own so many rental houses, hash mark, hash mark, hash mark, hash mark, own so many multi-units, hash mark. And I still got the one year and the three year slips that I wrote on at that time, which made me change my life because I got the home study. I got a foundation, the education, and I took action. Right. And every morning when I woke up, I was focused on how to change my life. I did. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTRIA funding comes in. CTRIA funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to CTREIAfunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. You've mentioned uh, a couple of times, and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of self-education. I was an English major and a mass communications major in college, neither awesome. of which I really use here, right? Right, I got yeah. it. College taught me how to break down problems into bites that you can actually, you know, you can work through. And it also taught me how to actively read. And so I read a lot and I know you read a lot. What are some of the books on your nightstand these days? And what are you reading? Specifically on my nightstand, before I go there, I, where I'm at right now is I got two offices in this home yep. and I had to build a shelf for all my books up here. And upstairs, there's two gigantic bookcases and I've got hundreds of books and I've read most of them. But what's on physically on my book stand is a book that I got out in Carmel, California. When I was out there on vacation, there was a old Spanish mission, probably built in, I don't know, 1600s or something. And there was a book there and I picked it up. I didn't think much about it. I just thought I'd like this little book, it's leather bound. And I brought it back home and it is my favorite book. And it's a prayer book. The name of it is My Catholic Prayer Book. And I've read every prayer in it. And I've got a second book, called deliverance and it's just packed full of prayers. And so I say nine prayers every morning when my feet hit the ground, I have a third one, which is also there and it's the Bible. It's one my mom and dad got me when I graduated from high school. 
And so those are the books that I have and read every morning. I think it's important to do that every morning. Well, grounding, right? Yeah, it grounds me. The other thing that happened that I'd like to share with you, since you brought it up, is that I wrote a book for my kids on faith. And I wanted to share with them what I knew about my parents and my grandparents on their faith life. I ended up creating this book, Spiral Bound, gave it to them at Christmas time one year, and it ended up to nearly 70 pages of information. So it's a pretty healthy book. Yeah. I gave my children, and hopefully they pass it down to to my grandchildren over time. Well, but I'm very proud of that. I did it only for my kids. Kids are the only ones to get it. And it's all about faith and how you're supposed to, like you and I are talking about grounding. Well, you need to be grounded in faith too, I believe. So, you know, everybody's different, world's changing, but that's my beliefs. And you ask, so that's exactly what I did. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's amazing the things you can share with your kids in that moment of vulnerability, when you're kind of opening yourself up and like you did, you know, open up the lives of the, your parents, their grandparents and great grandparents to give them a little insight into how they conducted themselves. I tell my daughters all the time that character is what you do when no one else is paying attention. Right. Yeah. Right. And, exactly. And so regardless of which religious doctrine you buy into, I am also Catholic, by the way, the fact is that how you conduct yourselves, like today, when I have a problem in front of me, one of the things that I filter those problems through is what would my grandfather do, right? Really? And Bill O'Brien, mainly because he was one of the best human beings I ever met. And he taught me how to be a man and how to be a human being. Isn't that great? uh, And I'm grateful for that. And hopefully someday my kids or my grandkids will filter their problems through what I would do, which likely would be what Bill O'Brien would have done anyway. So the fact that you are able to capture that and pass it down to your kids is an absolute treasure for your family. If you don't capture it, it's lost. Absolutely. They They won't know what I hope they get out of my book. It's gone. Right. And that book doesn't have to stop with my children. It can go from generations. So knowing what my grandparents did and my parents and to have that locked in, I think is so important. I'll I'll share something else with you. I just (laughs) thought about, I found out that my great grandfather wrote a book. His book was on divorce because his wife left him and kept the farm. And so he, he ended up writing a book and I think I've got the only copy of the book. Okay. Family. Okay. That was my great grandfather. Then my grandmom, his daughter, she wrote a book and it's laying right over there in this room. And then my mom, her daughter, my mom, she was an author and she's won awards on poetry and she has written a number of books. She's gone now. She died just about a year ago. But the the year year before that, on a book that she wrote, she Mm -hmm. wanted me to dedicate that to the local library. And when I did that, she couldn't make it because she, she was failing health. But I took it and they p- took a picture, a colored picture and put it on the front page of the newspaper for the town. And so there I am holding this book and they're talking about mom's book. And then I would get calls, people wanting to buy it. But that's three generations. But now you got me, I'm the fourth generation. Right. I just told you I got 77. And my sister also wrote a book. And so she's also an author. And then my daughter who's assistant dean of nursing, she had her thesis. She's got a book. So we have five generations of, of authors. That's tremendous. I think that's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really, really proud of what they did. 
Yeah, all absolutely. That. Yeah. And it's nice that you can share it with the family. Yeah. And, uh, maybe even outside the family someday, right? Yep. You got um, it. One of the things I've been doing is going back and reading books I read decades ago. Think and Grow Rich is the one that that I tend to oh, read once a year, right? Yeah, they're great. Uh, Richest Man yeah. in Babylon, and you know, I got that. Books. My dad gave me that. Setting okay. setting up in the bookcase. Yep. yep. It's amazing the wisdom you can take. A, a lot of people dismiss that. Oh, it was in the 1920s, or it was you know oh. way back when. And the fact is, is that the world has changed so many times that it's not relevant anymore. It's just as relevant today. That wisdom is just as relevant today as it was a hundred years ago. It sure is. It's sage advice, sage advice, in those books. Yes, definitely. I'll tell you a quick story, a quick Bill O'Brien story. And then I'm sorry for the tangent, but this is actually a blog. Hey, it's great. When I graduated from college, my uncle, my grandfather was notorious for his walks, right? He would say, hey, come on, let's go for a walk. And during those walks, you were either in a lot of trouble or he was about to drop some wisdom on you. It was one of the <laughs> two, right? And I had just graduated less than an hour beforehand and he said, uh, let's go for a walk. So I knew I wasn't in trouble. It was a good day. Although I was very prone to doing dumb stuff when I was younger. We walked for a few minutes and he said, you know, you, this was a good day. And I said, yeah, it was a really good day. And he said, you think you're pretty smart, don't you? And I looked back and I'm looking at the school I graduated from. I'm like, it's a pretty good school. Yeah, I'm actually pretty smart, right? And with absolute no humility, right? As a 22-year-old kid yeah. who didn't know a thing. And he said, do me a favor. He said, over the next six months, he said, I'll see you at the holidays. Over the next six months, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, at the pharmacy or wherever, and you see gray hair, strike up a conversation with that person about anything, whatever you want to talk about. And then let's talk when you get back to Christmas. Okay, that's a simple yeah. thing. And so, you know, I'd be sitting at a diner and a gentleman with gray hair would sit down next to me. I'd strike up a conversation with him and I'd be standing at the grocery store and a, and a lady with gray hair would be standing in front of me. I'd strike up a conversation with her. Nothing long, three, five minutes, right? Just, a, you know, whatever. And, you know, as you can probably tell, I'm not very shy. I have a, I'm pretty brave when it comes to meeting new people. That's great. And uh, I do six months of this roughly. And I see him at Christmas time and he, you know, let's go for a walk. And uh, all right, now I know what's coming. Right. Yep. And he said, so did you do what I asked you to do? And I said, yes, sir. I did. He goes, how smart are you? I said, I don't know a damn thing. I have a lot <laughs> And he just kind of laughed and threw an arm around me. And, you know, we had a nice time together. And said you got it, right? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. And that oh, wasn't something he could have told me. He could have told me that, but it wouldn't have sunk in the way it did. You had to live it. Did. Right. You had to live it, didn't you? I had to live it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good. Good that you yeah. followed his request too. Yeah. You know, uh, it made a difference. My life tended to be more successful when I followed his advice. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I followed his hey. advice whenever I could. He sounds like a really wise person. He was a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to the real estate stuff in terms of deals that you've done or that you're particularly proud of or cautionary tales, even if you want, what's one of the deals that you're most proud of? What's your biggest win? Well, I'm, I'll just share the one I did last week. Sure, great. <laughs> the way this deal started out is back in, I don't know what it was, 2006 or whenever it was, I used private money to buy a property. And on that, I put a renter in there. I had a few of them at first, and I had one that stuck. She left in November. Well, prior to that, when I did it with private money, what I got into a habit of doing is I would take down a house with private money put somebody into it and then get a bank loan. And I noticed that by getting a bank loan, since I had somebody in there, we had rental income, they looked at me as a competitor 
and they were happy to do the deal. And the people that haven't experienced that will be really shocked at how aggressive a bank will be to fund that deal. Okay. But what that did for me was it, it started taking this down, even though with private lenders, you can also amortize a loan. Back then I didn't know that I didn't do it. So I did a lot of deals where it was just, you know, simple interest only like I did with mom. And so what happened was this thing paid down over time. She decided not to pay. And I had to let her go here in November. I gave her four and a half hours to, to get all of her stuff out. And when she left, the place was still full. There was like 40 bags of clothes in the basement and all kinds of stuff. And so we had to clean the place out, get a 40 yard dumpster and did that. But, but it was still, the house was still full and we started to sell stuff. My office manager, she likes to sell that stuff. And so she started to sell it and her and I split it on any sale that she had. And so she did that for a while. I have another guy that does eBay stuff. He came in and took eBay stuff out and him and I do a 50, 50 split. I made a lot of money on that and they did too. And then what happens when we finally got to the point where everything was about done selling, clean the rest of the place out. And I got a check last week for $34,000. Whoa. So that's a good check. I think, you that's know, a very good check. Yeah. For a beat up old rental house. I put some money into it to fix it up, but, um, yeah, but I got $34,000 last week. That's So that's the one right now when you say, which one do you want to talk about? You know, I've had tons we could talk about, but that one is kind of nice. And especially like the fact that I could explain it to the folks listening on take it down with private money, refi, okay? And if you're doing a rental, let it pay off all the way, or mine was almost all the way down. And then you can keep it for your retirement or you could sell it. And right. in my case, because the area it was in, the area changed a little bit, so... I sold it, took the money and ran. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good day. You got it. You got it. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. So Alan, when you're not educating the world on real estate or writing books, what do you do outside of the business world to keep yourself engaged and happy? Well, first off, you would think uh, I'd be on a beach, even though I like that. And I've been on a ton over the years. In fact, in, in 2019, just before COVID, I spoke 45 times all over the nation. Ooh. That's a lot. And since I got started to be a speaker around in 2003, I did about that from then on. The first year, I spoke 52 times all over the nation. Wow. So hopping on an airplane is not really excited anymore. But what I love is my family. And I've got three grandkids that are just amazing. I got a one-year-old, a four-year-old, and a 20-year-old. The beautiful thing is, because I have plenty of time, Many times I'll go down and pick up the the four-year-old at the school and she'll come out with her little backpack on and she'll be looking for me. And when she sees me, she runs to me and jumps into my arms and it's just, that's heaven. That is the best, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when we go out to eat, she has to sit right beside me and she's like glue on me. So she loves her grandpa, I guess. So it's uh, wonderful. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand why. Yeah. So Alan, I've really enjoyed this conversation and it's good to get reconnected with you. And again, thank you for all the wisdom you've imparted on me and in my world. And thank you for doing that for the thousands of other people out there. You do have 77 different products out there. So if someone is looking to get in touch with you or learn more about how they can learn from you, what's the best way to get in touch? Well, uh, I think best way is to go to the website. I don't have all those products out there, but there's a number of them. But more importantly, I guess, is there's some free stuff out there. One of the things I did 
was I put a place on there where folks can go out, put their email in, hit the enter button, and they get 35 coaching lessons, e-coaching lessons from me that will come out like one every three weeks. So it's not overwhelming. Okay. Folks love that. Over the years, I've had folks that put them in a three ring binder. And if they lose the binder, they get a hold of me and beg me to give them the coaching. You know, so I guess they're okay. I guess they're pretty good. So I would highly recommend that folks go out and get that on the main page and do that. The other thing is I've got another place where there's some more free stuff and you can do some downloads. There's a video there. And I've got a lot of stuff on YouTube. I've got, I've got one place on YouTube where I've got 24 short little keys and nuggets that people should know about private money. Excellent. And so, but on the website, it's private lending made easy. And those words, yeah, that's a long domain, but I didn't know any better like back when I did it. So it's private lending made easy.com. And they can go out and get that free stuff and beat around. And if they got any questions, they can figure out how to get a hold of me out there. So, okay. And we'll be sure to put that on the show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Private lending made easy.com. Yeah. All right. We'll Alan see. Calgill, always a pleasure, sir. Hope to see you soon. I think you're coming to Connecticut maybe in the fall uh, or okay. maybe next spring, I hope. But anyway, yeah. hope soon. So, yeah, me uh, thank too. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been great, Ed. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a CTRIA presentation. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. If there's a specific topic you want us to cover, post it in the comments. For more information on the Real Estate Underground Podcast or CTRIA, go to realestateundergroundpodcast.com or ctria.com. Until next time, happy investing.